Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. We're almost through with the book of Second Chronicles. We made it to chapter 35. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. So uh, the people we're talking about are the new kings of the land, Josiah. Um, it's, he's inherited the throne now. Uh, the Passover we're talking about, it's the same holiday that's being celebrated in modern times that we read about in the book of Exodus when the people were emancipated from enslavement in Africa. If you want to read about it, you know, if you're new to the Naked Truth, you can go back and read it in context. Just begin with the book of Exodus if you want to look back on that reading. It's when Moses was the one leader of the people. And they were emancipated to where they're at now, where they're, even in modern times, partially. And what's there, it's called the, they consider the promised land. Passover is the celebration of that emancipation. And the lambs, the animal, that's slaughtered to celebrate it. Um, it was a, an ordinance, a statute. It was something set down to be done forever. When we read about it, yet in modern times, people in modern times, instead of um, sacrificing the animal, um, they'll sacrifice eating it. Like, instead of eating a lamb, they'll make sure they don't eat a lamb and things like that. Um, they'll forego eating it. Verse 2, and he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. And I say that because... That's another way of interpreting it the same way. You're still sacrificing it. Sacrifice it. You're not eating it. You're fasting from it, basically. Um, so in a sense, you're still fulfilling it. Uh, but, I mean, truly, you'd only really be fulfilling it if you were regularly eating it, like, all the time, I would think. But also, uh, verse 2, um, the priests are being set up for their part in the ceremony. Verse 3, then he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who are holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. So King Josiah is telling the people, encouraging, admonishing the people to be faithful and to uh, set up the articles of worship in a stable place instead of moving it around from here to there. To set up the ark, that's the covenant, the ark of the covenant, that's what he's referring to in the temple that Solomon had built. Verse 4, prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son. So uh, he's telling them to be faithful to what they're supposed to do to ready themselves and for their duties as prescribed um, by King David and Solomon, his son, before them. Verse 5, And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brethren and lay people, and according to the division of the father's house of the Levites. So he, basically in their ranks, he's telling them know their places, stand in their parts, know their parts, and fulfill their duties. And the Levites are the branch of the tribes dedicated specifically to the religious ceremony of the tribes. 
chapter 6. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves, and prepare them for your brethren, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So he's telling these specific people to prepare themselves, ready themselves ceremonially for these different rituals because they specifically are the ones who are supposed to do them. There is not like, as we read, it's, uh, it seems, and the Lord here, and Lord is being translated from the Y-H-W-H-Y-H-V-H name um, to English, Lord, as we've gone over before, um, seems to overlook other things that we would consider atrocities in modern times, the attempted gang rapes, or even the, the actual rapes, um, and the slavery, and all the hypocrisies that we've read about, some of them go without a peep from the entity that's being referred to as the Lord again and again and again. Yet we've seen someone trying to do something, I don't know, it seems innocuous to try and help or do something for the cause of the, the religion, like with the stumbling animal in the, the same ark that we're reading about now. When it was about to tumble over, someone trying to save it from being from toppling over gets basically zapped instantly and gets killed by, according to the narrator, the Lord. And that's not the only instance we've read about. So it just, in my mind, it makes it hard to believe that this is God Almighty that we're uh, talking about. Not to mention all the changes from all these different animal sacrifices that are prescribed to suddenly saying, oh no, that's it would be an abomination to do that now. But it says to do them forever, and then they lay it out. But we'll just keep reading. Um, verse um, 7. Then Josiah gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings for all who were present, to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions. So he's got plenty of possessions to let you know. It's just like in modern times, the elite are living large, living very, very large, and the poor are living on their crumbs because he's able to freely give out all this livestock freely for the people to presumably take back with them or not even take back with them. They're going to take it, if, I guess, if they, aside from what they're offering for their own, from their own possessions to be sacrificed to the religion. He's giving them all these other animals to also take with them for their animal sacrifices. Verse 8, And his leaders gave willingly to the people, to the priests, and to the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Janiel, rulers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flock and 300 cattle. So we're talking thousands and thousands of animals. There's, it seems highly unlikely to me. They're killing all these animals, slaughtering them all in one day, just routinely doing them all, and practicing all the religious ceremony that goes with it as far as all the sprinkling of the blood and all of those sort of things that are, we already read about. It seems unlikely to me that they're doing all of that, because even in a factory in modern times where it's mechanized or, you know, computerized, I would think it'd be tough to slaughter thousands and thousands and thousands of animals like this all in one moment. Not to mention slaughter them and perform all the rituals that are uh, included in what they're supposed to do. It seems more likely to me. 
And it could be wrong that um, the people are taking these uh, animals to themselves and whether they're slaughtering them or not, or, you know, adding to their own livestock or of cattle and enriching themselves thereby. Like in modern times, how closely the church, I'll say to it as an umbrella term for all religion, uh, um, works so closely with politics. And that's outside of just this country that's around the world in hurting the people, not just hurting them into their actions um, as far as wars and whatnot, uh, but all the way down to their pockets, their belief systems, who they pray to, if they pray at all, and all of that, all to hurt the people into a way of thinking. Whether it's a healthy way of thinking or not, it seems it's all working together, and it seems like it's nothing new of what we're reading. Um, verse 9, also Conaniah, his brothers, Shemaiah, and Nathaniel, and Hashabiah, and Jehiel, and Josabad, chief of the Levites, gave to Levites for Passover offerings 5,000 from the flock and 500 cattle. So we're talking like 10,000 animals now, at the very least, um, that are being offered. And that's just for the cattle. But this probably is going on for more than one day also. Um, this Passover celebration, if I remember right, goes on a week or two depending on when it's celebrated uh, and when we're reading about it. Sometimes it's the first month, sometimes it's the second month, if I remember right. Verse 10, so the service was prepared and the priests stood in their places and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command. So all the ceremony is set up, everyone's in their place. Verse 11, and they slaughtered the Passover offerings and the priests sprinkled the blood with their hands while the Levites skin the animals. So it's begun, the ceremony is in order now. They're killing the animals, uh, uh, bleeding them, skinning them even. And it seems like, I guess, like an assembly line where they're moving along the way, passing along the cows and the goats and the sheep and whatnot. It seems awfully, um, I don't know, bloody to be in a church or the place of worship, but it's the place of worship. Verse 12, then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the father's houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle. So the burnt offerings are the different parts of the animals that are to be offered, whether it's their guts, like their chitlins, their um, intestines and whatnot, all of those sort of sweet grits, as they fancy folks call them. Um, those are special offerings, um, I guess, like in modern times, they're delicacies. Um, in less modern times, in slave times, in American slavery times, those were like cuts that were rejected by the so-called slave owners, or better said, enslavers, because you can't actually own another person, even if you think you do. Um, but they would reject those sort of meats. And that's what the enslaved people were left to eat. And then when they would cook it, uh, the enslavers would want it. So then they'd start eating those foods too. And that's generally speaking. There are other cultures, German culture, for instance, that eat those sort of things. French people also eat those sort of cuts also. 
but also those cultures are also African inspired in many ways because cultures don't have borders. Um, they just don't. Um, verse 13. Um, I think we missed one thing about, oh, the book of Moses. So when it talks about the book of Moses in verse 12, that's the, I'm thinking, it's referring to the so-called five books of Moses, the five first books of the Bible as we have them. Um, and although they're attributed to Moses, like we've said again and again, he didn't, obviously didn't write them. He clearly couldn't have written them um, firsthand. It couldn't have been firsthand experience when he's writing them because some of the events happened way before his time. So if he was, if he wrote those, those had to have been, had to have been delivered to him by some divine means or something unknown like technology that was available then that we don't know about or someone else wrote it as it's believed to have been the first parts of the bible amended um when the uh israelites were in captivity um and that that's when different parts of what we call the old testament particularly were um edited and conflated with other belief systems and you see that in stories like the flood for instance um at least that's my understanding of it um so uh verse 13 so anyway that's what it means when it talks about the books of moses verse 13 also they roasted the passover offerings with fire according to the ordinance but other holy offerings they boiled in pots in cauldrons and pans and divided them quickly among all the lay people so there you go there it lets it makes it clear it's basically a big cookout because otherwise, why are you dividing among the people? These animals aren't just being roasted to ashes, burnt to ashes. They're being barbecued and feeding the people. It's a festival. It's a holiday. Verse 14, and afterward, they prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were busy in offering burnt offerings and fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. So, um, just like uh, in, a, in most parties, if you're throwing a party, you don't always get to eat when everybody else gets to eat. You get a plate, a portion set aside for yourself, like a baker's dozen, that extra one in the dozen for you at 13. Verse 15, and the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their places. According to the command of David, Asaph, Keman, and Jedekin, the king's seer. Also, the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not have to leave their position because their brethren, Levites, prepared portions for them. So it's a feast. And even the guards are getting a plate too. Verse 16, so all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and the offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. So the Passover celebration is in full swing. Verse 17, and the children of Israel were presently kept from Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. So there is seven days um, so that they keep the festival uh, so that all these animals are not slaughtered at the same time, though it seems most likely they are slaughtered continually. Uh, except for the days off, the Sabbaths, the rest days. 
verse 18, and I'm just guessing that. Verse 18, there had been no Passover kept in Israel likewise since the days of Samuel the prophet, and none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the narrator here of Second Chronicles, again, unnamed as far as I know, is letting us know that um, it seems this celebration is going on and it's including all the tribes, um, both the kingdoms, both the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. With all 12 tribes, they're celebrating the Passover like they hadn't done in a very long time. See, verse 19, in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. So I'm not sure what they're starting at as their first, as their starting date. It's not like you can use a calendar and just look back, like the calendar you might have on your phone. Um, but the narrator here is counting it for us. Um, verse 20, after all this, when Josiah repaired the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. So, time has passed, and Josiah has an enemy at one of his borders, the African border, um, trying him. Verse 21, but he sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. So now the African king is giving him really good advice. King uh, Nico from Egypt is giving King Josiah excellent advice, telling him to stay in his lane, that his beef is not with him, and so you stay out of the way so that he doesn't end up dead. It's a really fair warning for someone who he's risen up against as his enemy, really with no cause. Um, will he be grateful for that sort of friendly warning or will he act arrogantly, uh, act arrogantly and it costs him? I guess we'll see. Verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him, and did not heed the words of Nico from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the Valley of Megiddo. So it's Armageddon. That's what um, the Valley of Megiddo refers to. That's what Armageddon refers to. Um, you can even see it in the word Megiddo, Megiddon. Um, and you can see it in the translation too in Revelation. We went through that one. Um, but what's happened is um, King Josiah is refusing to heed the warning. And even though the warning is he's being told is uh, from God, I guess because it's not from a source he recognizes as with that with no God, he's rejecting it and stubbornly going ahead thinking, oh, he'll just go ahead and fight him. He can go ahead and beat him. Verse 23, and the archer shot. King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, take me away. So you can read there just that quick. He stubbornly resisted the good advice given to him, and just that quick he's paying for it. Uh, he's been shot with an arrow, 
and he knows he's severely wounded. That's what he's saying himself and is basically begging to be taken away. Verse 24, his servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot they, that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. So his stubbornness cost him his life. He's dead and now buried. So just that quick, Josiah is gone because he was hard-headed. At least that's the way it reads. But he's been buried in the tombs of his fathers, the kings of Judah. Um, or, uh, let's see, verse 25. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and singing women and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel. And indeed, they're written in the laments. So the narrator here, or scribe of Second Chronicles, is letting us know that Josiah's death was so significant that the people sort of made it a custom to, not really a holiday, but a memorial day to uh, lament him and, you know, uh, mourn over him and the loss of him. Um, there was something else about that verse. Oh! We just, I just noticed the landmark we can use when we finally get to, we get to the prophets, God willing, we get to the prophets. We can um, sort of figure out who, which prophets were alive during different events. I would hope maybe we can remember to align them. And they'll probably be mentioned uh, when we get to the books like Jeremiah. You see now he was active clearly during the time of Josiah, for instance. Um, so when we see, see things like that, and like Elijah uh, or Isaiah, as we, when we get to those um, the books of like Isaiah or Jeremiah, we'll be able to hopefully have a clearer idea of the prophecies when they were given, who they were given to, and if and when they came true. Um, you know, during that, um, those different, each prophet's lifetime, or um, successively afterwards, um, by figuring out because the Bible isn't laid out chronologically. So it's a little tricky, I think, in figuring out the timeline. Um, verse 26, now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what was written in the law of the Lord. So now the um, scribe, the narrator is letting us know we can read more about Josiah and his reign. Um, and he's saying written in the law of the Lord. Um, well, according to what's written in the law of the Lord. So I guess it's saying, he's, the narrator is saying, according to how Josiah was faithful to what was written in what they're referring to as the law of the Lord. Or we can read about more about it. Verse 27, and his deeds from first to last. Indeed, they're written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. So um, just like some of the other chapters and this one's ending with the narrator letting us know if you want to read more about Josiah, his administration, his life, and the events surrounding him, you can read more about him in the books of the kings, which we've already made it through, praise God. And we've also just made it through this chapter of 35 in Second Chronicles, praise God. So thank you for reading along with me. I uh, hope you'll join me again for the Naked Truth. Appreciate it.
I'll see you next time. Love you. Peace be with you.